0: Morning to everybody. So glad to see you. As I begin to think about, you know, New City is celebrating two years of being a church next Sunday, um, April 7th, and that's incredible. Um, Luckily, my wife and I have been here from the beginning to where we weren't even in this space, but we were in Dylan, our lead pastor's townhome, in his living room. We would pull away the couches and put some lawn chairs, um, and we would have church in there for a few months before we actually got this space. Um, but I can remember in Dylan's townhome and in here, our first Sunday, we had, as as a worship team, um, one vocalist and one acoustic guitar. Um, none of this stuff that you see was even on the stage. We had the speakers and stuff, but we didn't have drums, we didn't have any of that, and the worship was really good. But now we come two years later and we have the full band, and we have different bands that play on different Sundays, um, and I begin to think, man, we have... You know Kevin, who was our our worship director here at New City Church, um, he was on the drums today. And if you think playing drums is tough, play drums and sing. Now that's even tougher. And I begin to think, Phil Collins made a lot of money doing what Kevin just did, right? Like he wrote some bangers. And I mean, we don't want you to go like tour Europe and all this stuff. But all that to say, the band is really great. Um, and as I begin to think, I'm like, man, we had one guitar and one vocalist, and now we got our main vocalist playing drums while singing while we have all these other great musicians around them. And so, yeah, the worship blesses us every Sunday. And I think we put it in the beginning and the end. So, like, you're like, oh, this is great. And then I get up here and you're like, eh. And then they come back up here and redeem that time in between. Um, Right. Thank you for all the laughs. And I don't know if that's, like, awkward laughs. laughs. or like, man, that's true. But, uh. No, it really is good to be with you. I, I want to begin today by sharing just a, a little story. Um, my wife, Emily, was dying as I told her this story for the first time last night, actually. So when I was younger, um, at a certain point in my childhood, we lived in these townhomes, um, and I was in elementary school. And when I was younger, man, I used to play outside all the time. So the weather is getting warm again, um, maybe to stay. I don't. It could be 30 tomorrow. Um, but the weather is getting warmer. So on days like this, we would, me and a few guys in the neighborhood, we would, we would stay outside all day. Um, we would play in the woods. We loved playing army. Like, that was our thing. We would climb trees, um, these pine trees that this old woman on the corner would yell at us about because we weren't supposed to be in them. We would climb those trees. And there was this one guy in particular who was older than me. Um, I used to hang out with him a lot, and, and, and I would do what he did. Like, whatever he said, let's do, let's do it. Um, and, and one day when we were playing in the creek and it's like, do I call it a creek and where did I grow up? Um, I did play in a creek and this was not like a little babbling brook. Okay. This was a creek, like a wide creek, muddy, all that good stuff. And one day we had a, a rope that we would swing from one side to the other. Well, that was the plan at least. And he went first. And like I said, he was older than me. He was taller than me. He could do it. Well, I found out very quickly that when it was my turn to do it I you know I'm standing on the edge and I have the swing and you gotta jump you know and you gotta hold yourself up on that rope because when that rope catches all your body weight is going to catch with it so I grab onto that rope and I'm like I can do this so I swing too and I make it to the other side and I feel so big no that didn't happen I let go of that rope about midway guys I hit the bank of that creek so hard I can still feel it in my bones right now as I, I, I was on the rope, and then I wasn't. <laughs> and that's the first time I ever remember having the breath knocked out of me, and you feel like you're, you're dead, like I'm dead. All I can do is blink right now, because I can't breathe, and it's terrifying. And I remember hitting that bank so hard. Literally, I don't remember much about hanging out with him, but I will never forget that day that I hit the side of that bank so hard. And why do I share that? For enjoyment, but also... <laughs> Because I want to look at this question as we begin, and it'll be on the screen. Do you believe that your life impacts people? Do you believe that your life impacts people? That guy had an impact on me. I was doing (laughs) 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 things. And then the creek did. Is that what you were saying? Yeah, then then I impacted the creek, and it was awful. (laughs) But I would do whatever that guy was doing. And one day it, it didn't work out. But nevertheless, do you believe that your life impacts people? And maybe we could follow it up like this What impact are you making? What impact are you making? Today we're continuing a series that we called Masterclass. Um, and it's basically a series through the book of the Bible called 1 Corinthians, written by this guy named Paul. 20 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. He wrote this letter, and it's really just showing us how the gospel shapes every facet of our life. What does it look like for our sexuality? What does it look like for the way that we work, the way that we interact with others? How does the gospel shape these things? And last week we looked at this this huge theme that our bottom line was that if you do not have Jesus, you cannot become Jesus. You cannot become like Jesus, I should say. That there's something about having the God of this universe, the Spirit within us, that mobilizes us to do more than we could ever imagine. But it begins with Him. And today we're going to continue that in chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians, wrapping it up, looking at not only are we mobilized to do more, not only does God say, you can be more and it starts with me, but He looks at us and says, now you go and tell others how they can be more. How we can have an impact in someone's life for the good of the gospel. You know, one of the greatest things about being a Christian is that we have a faith that is not solo, if you will. Salvation, being saved by God, that's between me and God. It's not on my parents, it's not on my friends, it's not on my wife. That, that relationship is between me and God. But just as God calls us to Himself, He also calls us into relationship with other people, other believers. That's one of the great things about this, is that we are a body throughout Scripture and in 1 Corinthians. We read of this language that Paul is saying things like, remember, do you not realize that you are part of the body? That the hand needs the foot and the brain needs the eye and Christ is the head of this body and we are together intertwined and it's not just that we have to be in each other's life as a believer, but rather the language here is that, man, you get to be in each other's life. Like you are stronger together and you get to do that. So whatever you're feeling today Realize that you're not alone, even if you're sitting in this room with complete strangers. We gather as a body, we encourage one another, and we have the chance to speak into one another. One of our values, you can find them in the coffee bar on the wall, one of our values here at New City Church is that you can't do life alone. We believe with everything in us as a church that no man, no woman was created to live life alone. You weren't meant to go through your sorrows alone. You weren't meant to go through your trials alone. You weren't even meant to go through your joys alone. That we want to be around one another. That no man is an island and that we are here as a body because we can't do it alone. I need others to speak into my life. I need others. The church. And so it's so cool that we're celebrating two years of this church speaking into my life. Of God using the people in this church to speak into my life. And now we get to this letter in First Corinthians. And what Paul is reminding us is that he is speaking into their life. You God is using him to write this letter. And so First Corinthians chapter four. Um, If you have your Bible, go ahead and grab that. We'll flip to that passage. Um, If you do not have a Bible, there should be a black one somewhere around you. And if you don't even own a Bible, take that black one home. That's our gift to you. But if you are turning in the black Bible, it is page 1013. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter four, looking at the end of it. And so we'll dive right in. How does he begin this section? Verse 14. I am not writing this to shame you. So, Everything that Paul is writing, this letter, this entire book, I am not writing this to shame you, but to what? But to warn you as dear children. So we have to pause right here before we go any further and realize something so important. And this is what Paul is communicating to us today. And the first thing that we need to know is this, that our relationship with others matters. That our relationships with other believers who Paul is writing to, this is what he's showing us, it matters. They aren't just important. They aren't just a good idea. They aren't just beneficial when it fits our agenda. But he's saying they matter. They're pivotal. They serve a purpose. And you know those conversations, you know, speaking of relationships, because let's be honest, a real relationship, there's hard conversations that you have to have. Whether that be with your kids or your spouse or whoever, coworker. I love those conversations. No, I don't. I hate awkward conversations. And if I'm on the end of it, like receiving end of it, I don't know if I melt, but it's just not good, okay? And Paul is kind of entering into one of those awkward conversations right now. He's entering into that relationship where it's like, look, guys, I love you. I'm not writing this to shame you, but we got to deal with some stuff. And as he writes, I'm not here to shame you, our minds have to go to what we've been learning in 1 Corinthians so far and what we will see as we continue to read. That he writes that I'm not trying to shame you, Because there are so many things within this church, the the, the Corinthian church, that could shame them. That should shame them. They are doing things that are outside of the will of God and are doing things that have to be corrected. But there's something super important by Paul writing these words. I'm not writing to shame you. You could feel ashamed. That's not why I'm writing to you. And right now the Corinthians are in a tough time as a church and as a people. And I would offer this to you today, that if you will show me someone who will correct you, I will show you a brother or a sister. If you show me someone who speaks into your life with grace, now I'm not saying all correction is good, but if you show me someone who speaks into your life full of grace and full of truth, and when it's hard, but when you need it, I will show you a brother or a sister that you have in your life. Matt Smethurst, who is... um, one of the chief editors at the Gospel Coalition, he tweeted this, and this really shows my generation that I'm not pulling from commentaries, I'm pulling from Twitter. Um, He tweets this. What does it mean to be a church member? It means hearing, am I my brother's keeper? And answering yes. What does it mean to be a member of a body? It means hearing the question, am I my brother's keeper? Is my brother my problem? And answering Yes. Is this our mindset? Is this our mindset? Is this true of New City Church? And I say this unapologetically, if it's not true of our community, then what are we doing here? That whole you can't do life alone, you can't live life alone, that means that we're going to be with you in the tough times, just as Paul is doing with the Corinthians right now. And we could really say it like this just to wrap our minds around it. It'll be on the screen. We say that your problems are my problems. Your problems are my problems. Your burdens, your struggles, your temptations, help help me help you. Let's walk through this thing together because we have to realize this. If Paul does not see their problems as his problems, we don't have this letter. We don't have this letter to the Corinthians. If Paul sees himself, they're not my issue, I got my own stuff to deal with. We do not have this letter. And so here's what we know, that life is messy and getting involved with others is hard because we have our own stuff to deal with. But if we are not continually being challenged, encouraged, and convicted, we do not have true community. And why is it important that we must know that our relationships with others matter? And it comes down to simply this, and it will be on the screen. You will impact others. You will impact others. The way that you live your life will impact others when we say your problems are my problems we are saying that we live in this sphere where what you do impacts me and what I do impacts you you will impact others let's look again at verses 14 through 16 Paul is writing this I am not writing this to shame you but to warn you as my dear children for you have had many countless instructors in Christ but you don't have many fathers For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. How is Paul impacting these people? What does this relationship look like thus far? If it's important to know that we will impact people, and that it's important to know that our relationships matter, what does Paul's relationship with these people have to communicate to us? I think it's very interesting that if we were to study what Paul is actually saying in these words, we would see a direct correlation to the gospel message. We would see a direct correlation to the God that originally saved these Corinthians. Paul didn't save them. But it's almost as he writes to them, as he opens up this conversation that he's going to have with them, he's saying, in my words and in my speech, hear the gospel. What do I mean by this? Well, it's interesting. The first thing he writes, I'm not writing this to shame you. In the, in the Bible, there's a book of Romans that Paul has also written, and, and here's what he writes in Romans 2, verse 4. It'll be on the screen. Or do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint, and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? What is it saying here? That it's not God's clean yourself up, you're a moron, now come to me. That's not what brings us to him. It's God's kindness that as he uncovers things, as he uncovers your sin that he deals with, it's his kindness and it's his grace that we say, huh? He's actually good. He's not uncovering these things to shame me. Will he deal with them? Absolutely. Will it look easy? Maybe not. But it's God's kindness that is intended to lead us to repentance. And that's what Paul's saying. I'm not writing this to shame you. That's not my intentions. He also says this. You didn't have fathers, so I became your father. Later in the book of Romans, Paul would write this, reminding us of the goodness of God. He says, you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received a spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Basically, he's just saying, look, you didn't receive this spirit to fall back into slavery. You received this spirit by God so you could call him dad. So that you could call him dad. And Paul is saying, look, you didn't have spiritual fathers. You have a spiritual father, but you didn't have all these mentors. So I, I became your spiritual father. And so Paul's speech here is is, is salted with kindness and salted with patience. That is tough, but it's necessary. And please, please hear my words as pointing back to the truth of the gospel, the truth that brought you there, the kindness of God that led you to repentance, the adoption that you have through him. Hear this in my words before we go any further. And then we get to verse 16 where he says this. Therefore, therefore I urge you to imitate me. This word therefore basically equals everything that I've said up until this point. That's why I'm writing this. Therefore, imitate me. And maybe we would get to this part of the letter, maybe the Corinthians did, and said, well, you're saying to imitate you, but didn't you just correct us a few chapters back for following other people other than Jesus? You see, in the early chapters of 1 Corinthians, we we find out that the members of this church were following after the leaders because of their preferences, because of their their, their talking styles, their rhetoric. And Paul says, look, they didn't save you. I didn't baptize you in my name. I baptized you in Jesus' name. And so maybe the Corinthians are like, well, why are you saying imitate me then? Why would I imitate you? We imitate Jesus. Well, yes and no. And I would like to look at what this, the, the, the negative side of this and the positive side. First of all, We could read this verse and say, well, literally, if I want to be like Paul in the sense that I want his ministry, that he has a large following, I would love to have that following. Have you heard him speak recently? Oh my gosh, the most eloquent words you've ever heard. His writing style, oh my gosh. If I could just impact people like he is, I would be so much better off. That that comparison could cripple us. So I'm currently pursuing my master's degree at Southeastern Seminary in Wake Forest. And we are blessed with awesome professors. Awesome professors, awesome chapel speakers that come. Um, A lot of my professors wrote the books that I'm reading, and they're just brilliant. And then I go to chapel, and I hear guys like David Platt. I hear guys like Francis Chan. This guy from South Korea came over who has a church of like 10,000 people. And it's very easy for me, if I'm being honest, to say, gosh, if I was just them, then I'd be making it then. If I could just be like David Platt, oof, if I could have a church of 10,000, man, then the Lord would really be working in my life. Maybe you notice that Dylan, our pastor, comes up here every Sunday and doesn't have notes. I never wanted to be like him. (laughs) For him to get up here and have no notes, that's like, whoa. Whoa. But nevertheless, if if we're looking at things like that, like, oh, if I just had their influence, if I just had their following, I'd be so much better off. Man, if I could just be as good as them. This is crippling. And this is what Dylan was talking and drawing our attention to last week, that this comparison will always cripple us. It will always lead us back into that spirit of slavery. And let's think about it in your life. I'm not trying to knock social media because I feel like a lot of leaders do that. Social media is a really great tool. But there's an illusion going on on social media that even I fall for. As I I say this, as I believe this, I still fall for this illusion. And it's the illusion that we look at pictures and we just think, man, that is the picture-perfect family. My family hates each other. If I could just have that family, man, I bet that couple never fights. Look how happy they look at the beach. I mean, they got drinks in their hand, they got a hat on, It like they're just having a good old, I bet they never fight. I wish I had something like that. Man, look at that job. Look at the car. That Have you seen their house? Man, if I just had that, fill in your blank. What is it? You see, this comparison that if I just had that is crippling, not just because of that, but what follows that. Because in our thinking, we think, man, if I just had that, when over here, I, I just have this, and God must be the God of just this. God blesses that, but he this? There's freedom in knowing that God had you in mind when he created you. And that's so elementary, if we're being honest. But it's so hard. It's so hard to grasp sometimes that God had you in mind when he created you. That he did not have some other person in mind when he created Adam. That God did not send me to seminary so that it's like, man, I hope he goes to chapel so he can hear David Platt and wish he had that platform. I really hope that he doesn't feel like he's good enough and then looks after someone else who is good enough. That's not the plan of God. This will cripple us. And there is freedom knowing that God does not hope for you to one day grow up and find that person that you're supposed to mimic. It's the goodness and grace and fill-in-the-blank of God that He actually wants you to be you. He actually wants you to be you. What kind of freedom would that look like to say, I can't help who I am. God, you gave me this wife. You gave me this husband. You gave me this job. You gave me this family. You gave me this house. You gave me this car. And so let me just be who you created me to be. I'm not going to strive. I'm just going to be. There's freedom in that. You are who God wants you to be. But, hear me out, there is a sense in this text that we, like Paul, should live in a way that others don't want that. They're not envious of it, but they do want to imitate the love that you have for the Father. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 5, 16. It'll be on the screen. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. In the same way, live a life that shows me and that when others look at you, they see something. They see something special. And without even knowing it, they recognize that there is a God up there that you are giving glory to. You are impacting someone in some way. I am certain of that. Whose works will they see? Will they see the good father? Or will they see us? When they watch your life, when they hear your words, the way that we live, matters the way that we interact with others matters and here Paul is not claiming to be someone good or holy but rather and if we were to read all his letters and read everything that he written 95% of it would say I am an idiot but God still uses me Adams you know translation a majority of his letters is not look how good I am no his letters say things like why do I do the things that I don't want to do Why do I still have this thorn in my side? I pleaded for the Lord to take it away from me. Three times, it's still here. So what must we do today? Well, simply put, be someone worth imitating. Be someone worth imitating. Now, of course, let's put this into our context because you may be thinking, well, I don't have a church. Paul's leading all these churches. But you do have a spouse. You do have friends. You do have coworkers. You might have children. And a question for all of us would be this. Would I pray for other people to follow Jesus the way that I am following Jesus? The way that I am following Jesus, would I pray that for other people? And let me just encourage you for a second, because you may hear that and think, wow, that's really weighty. Because in my head I'm shouting, no. I don't want people to follow Jesus the way I'm following Jesus. So let me just take the weight off of you a little bit. That when you hear that, or when you read this, That this is not a call to make every right decision or you're not worth imitating anymore. This is not a call to be perfect or you're done. It doesn't even begin with you. Do we recognize that? That when I pray for other people to follow Jesus, not me. When I pray for other people to follow Jesus the way that I follow Jesus. One thing that people always say, maybe you've heard it, so so finish the sentence. Do as I say, not as I do everybody's heard that i heard it a few times growing up i'm sure you did as a kid too you know kids try to justify what they're doing to their parents and they're like why can't i do this and maybe a parent's just like look do as i say not as i do okay like i don't have to go to bed at eight o'clock because i'm not six but you do i can watch these movies maybe i shouldn't but i am because i'm claiming the adult card but you can't you're a child so there's good parenting in some of that that it's do as i say you're not going to understand it Just do as I say, not as I do. But as I got older, I began to say things like, and this was not right. Why are you mad that I got a speeding ticket? You speed. And I said this last, uh, the the, the first service, I feel like I talk about my speeding tickets every time I get up here because that's just a normal, I don't know, it's just part of my life, I guess. But maybe we were trying to justify something. It's like, you're mad at me about speeding tickets, but you speed. And we would look at that and be like, well, yeah, speeding's not right. So is there hypocrisy there? I don't know. But here's one of the great things about our Lord and about our faith. Here's the thing that stands out about Christianity and all other religions. That we do not have a God who says, Do as I say, not as I do, but rather, do as I do, and do as I do. Do as I say, and do as I do. There's never anything that God has called us towards, whether it be evangelizing, whether it be praying, whether it be sharing the gospel with our friend or the multitudes, and there's even the call to die that he hasn't gone before us. And so even if your relationship with Jesus looks like martyrdom, we can't claim that he said, do as I say, not as I do. And we're not some annoying child trying to justify ourselves. God is patient with us, just as Paul is being with the Corinthians here do as I say and do as I do. And for three years, the disciples were able to watch as Jesus, this group of men, followed Jesus around as He claimed to be God, as He taught, as He preached, as He healed, as He raised people from the dead. He claimed all these things. They saw Him do works. And then when Jesus, the ultimate disciple, or the ultimate imitation of the Father, before He went back to heaven, what does He say? Go and do likewise. Or, imitate me. Imitate me to this world around you. Go and do that. And the disciples did that. Through the Spirit, the, disciple, the disciples were able to preach. They were able to heal. They were able to do miraculous things throughout the Bible. They even established a church. And like capital C, church, like on this rock, I will build my church. They did some incredible things, but they did not do that without their flaws, without their sin, and without everything else that involves being human. They were not perfect, but they were obedient. And that's what our call is today. We could say it like this, that the qualification for a life worth imitating is not spiritual perfection, but spiritual obedience. It's not about having all the answers. It's not about looking perfect. It's not about you controlling the outcome of a situation that you're in. But it is a call to be obedient. And let's just be real. When we're talking about imitating one another and we're talking about having an impact No one wants to see you and your fake perfectness. No one wants to see you trying to, to imitate perfection. It's just not real life. But what people do want to see, whether they want to admit it or not, is for a confessing believer to walk in repentance, to walk in confession, to walk in these things that God offers us and say, look, I fail more times than I could ever imagine. But God is still good. And we're going to talk about this at Easter. But God did not come to make good people or bad people good. But he came to make dead people alive. Let's walk in that. The life of Jesus is not for us to claim perfection. That I have all the answers about Jesus. I walk just like him. In fact, if if you shut your eyes, you might not know who's who. That's not our life. It's not what we've been called to. And so how will people really see Jesus and how will we be someone worth imitating when people see us walk, going, doing, not leaving our failures behind us, but walking with our failures, confessing those things, repenting of those things. That's what people want to see. And gospel-centered imitation happens when others see you following Jesus in the midst of your failures. You are walking together. Why does any of this matter? Why do we know that our relationships matter? Why do we want to be someone who's worth imitating? It's simply this, that imitation is a chain reaction. Imitation is a chain reaction. Let's look at verse 17, and it shows us this. Verse 17, this is why I have sent Timothy to you. He is my dearly loved and faithful child in the Lord. He will remind you about my ways in Christ Jesus, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Who is Timothy? Well, Paul tells us in this passage, he was a, he was a dear, dear, dearly beloved child. In the back portion of the Bible, we hear and we read of this relationship between this guy named Paul who wrote 1 Corinthians and this younger guy named Timothy. And we hear Paul tell him things like, look, don't let people look down on you because of your youth. So what does that tell us? Well, Timothy was young when he started this. All the reason in the world to be ashamed. There's even parts of scripture where Paul tells Timothy, drink a little wine for your stomach. What does that mean? That Timothy was probably nervous when he got up to do something like this. So Paul said, look, settle your stomach a little bit. And then there's other parts where Paul says, hey, you remember when I was in tears praying over you? In other words, all these times that I am pouring into you, now Paul is sending Timothy. Now Timothy is the lead pastor of a church in Ephesus. This shy young boy is now doing something and fulfilling the, the Lord's work because someone poured into him. And imitation is always a chain reaction. Timothy saw something in Paul and he began to see it in himself and now he's pouring into these Corinthians. He's becoming someone to imitate. And I just ask you, look what your impact can do. If we'll be serious about this and know that we have eyes on us, look what your impact can do. We will mobilize people to show them that you were not made to be nervous, you were not given the spirit of fear, but you have been given a spirit of power. Go and do likewise, even in the midst of your failures. And as we close this morning, we read 18 through 21, where Paul is going to deal with the others in the church. He says this in verse 18 and following, Now some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk, but the power of those who are arrogant. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you want? Should I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? Gentleness. Others were rising up because Paul wasn't there. Paul writes this letter because he can't physically be there right now. And others in that community were rising up, taking things into their own hands, saying different doctrines. And Paul's saying, look, When I come, I'm going to find out if they have action to back up their talk. And it's kind of like this. Think about the power that rose up in you when you saw a substitute teacher walk through the door. I think about the power that just welled up inside of me when I saw it wasn't my teacher. And then it's like, even in college, man, it's like, man, when am I going to mature? Even in college... A professor would say stuff like, So y'all get out at 1230, right? And it's actually like 1.30 or 2.30, and everybody's like, Yeah, that yeah, yeah, we get done at 1230. And then when she's about to let you out, this one guy in the back is like, Well, do we have any homework? Like, shut up. No, we don't have homework. <laughs> Think about the power that rose up inside you when your teacher was absent and that sub walked through the door. And that's sort of what's going on if you want to equate that. But men are, are rising up because the the, the, the teacher's not here. The teacher's not here. But Paul's saying, look, if the Lord wills, I'm coming back. And I'm going to find out. The word find out there is like a judge during a trial examining things. I'm going to find out if their walk matches their talk. Because here's what we know about the kingdom. It is not just a kingdom of talk, but it's a kingdom of walk. There's power in this. And listen, Paul's saying that words, he's not saying that words don't matter. He's writing a letter. So obviously words matter. But think about the action words that we find in this this, this section of Scripture. That I became something. I became your spiritual fathers. I'm writing to not shame you. I'm sending Timothy. And one day, if the Lord wills, I am coming to you. All these action words. Because Paul knows that while words are important, there's also actions because that is the kingdom. And is this not our God? Is this not our gospel? That God is not some old man sitting up on a throne saying, do as I say, not as I do. All this sounds great, but there's no action. No, there's action. That he so loved, action. That he sent, action. His son. To die, action. This gospel is a gospel of action. So Paul's saying, look, I'm coming. I'm coming and I want to do these things because people are watching not just what we say, but they're watching what we do. And do our feet match our lips? The bottom line for us today is pretty simple. But it's simply this. That our call is not to be God, but to show God. Our call is not to be God, but to show God. Probably two and a half weeks ago, two weeks ago, I was able to preach my grandmother's funeral. Um, She passed away on March 13th. And so the whole week leading up to that Sunday, uh, family was in hospice. She passed away on a Wednesday. um, And then we had a few days before the funeral. And someone just this, this, this week asked me, what did you learn about that experience? And I think the main takeaway I had from a few days in hospice to then a few days before the funeral, and then the actual funeral and doing the funeral, is that, man, my call is not to be God. There is no way that I can be God in this situation. I can't bring her back. And ultimately, my words may fall short in comforting the souls of a lot of people who were hurting. I can't be God. But I can show God. I can pray. I can have good conversations with members of my family who aren't understanding what's happening right now. And here's my promise to you that just in that situation that there will never be a day in your life where God says, you know what? You should do this. You go be God. That's your call now. He will never say that to you, but you know what he will say? Every day is your call to show me. Every day there is opportunity to show me, and that's not big like going to the nations necessarily. That's a huge part of it. But this might just be going to your neighbor, having lunch with a coworker, Sending an encouraging text. Guys, it's not your call to be God, but it is certainly your call to show God. And so I urge you in this room today, whatever your action step looks like, I pray that you would take it. I pray that you would take it and that we would see that eyes are on all of us. And it's not, us to be, it's not on us to be perfect. And it's not on us to deal with the outcome. You know, like, oh, they didn't see Jesus in me, so I must have not done it right. That, that's, not your, that's not your pressure. But Show God in whatever way that looks like for you. There's power when we walk as we talk. Will you pray with me, Father?